Welcome to Film Grain, the official podcast of the Film Society of Northwestern Pennsylvania and the Greater Erie Film Office. We preview film productions and events in the region and speak with creative entrepreneurs as Erie carves out its part in the wider industry landscape. I'm John Lyons, filmmaker, teaching artist, and the executive director of the Film Society. My name is Stuart Nash. I'm the director of the Greater Erie Film Office and a filmmaker. This week on Film Grain Dinner and a Movie at the Bourbon Barrel, we're presenting the 20th anniversary of The Matrix with selected shorts from The Animatrix as well. Our guest is filmmaker Mike Berlin, and we will discuss Undercover Billionaire and Erie, Pennsylvania on screen. Film Grain Dinner and a Movie is our Wednesday night film series. Events take place at the Bourbon Barrel, 1213 State Street in downtown Erie, Pennsylvania. The series features a big screen, wonderful leather couches and table seating options, and great company. Dinner's buffet style and included with your admission. We have vegetarian options every week and gluten-free on request plus table service all night long reserve your seats when you order online at filmsocietynwpa.org this wednesday we celebrate the 20th anniversary of the matrix this event is sponsored by our friends at r frank photography What do we want to say about the Matrix, everybody? I remember where I was when I saw that. I was in, I was a camp counselor up in uh, Portland, Maine. There was like this dollar movie theater. And if you guys remember, sort of like, it was like, oh, this movie came out. It's a summer movie. And there wasn't like the buzz on it and everything like that quite yet. And like then, in the moment? In the mean? moment. Yeah. And all of a sudden you see it and you're just like, holy fucking wow. shit, this blew my mind. And it like sort of satisfied every single fanboy thing that you wanted to. But like, of yeah. course, as we've gotten more woke in our society it's just like you realize that on repeat viewings and stuff like that that it's just like all the philosophical and theological right. like subtext that's underneath it it's just like Holy and shit. like looking yeah. at the wachowskis and um their lives since then and uh, i i see so many different layers when you look at the Matrix and like Cloud Atlas, like almost all I will of defend their films. Cloud Atlas. I love I, Cloud I Atlas. I love Cloud Atlas. <laughs> I, I, I now David, uh, in full disclosure, David Mitchell, the author, is like yeah. one of my favorite authors, and he does this thing where every single one of his books are tied to the other one, and he actually has like uh, a connection uh, from like it all culminates. Well. It, We'll see, but he's not done. He's still with us, fortunately. Uh, but like it all com- uh, like culminates with this one book called the Bone the Bone Clocks, and okay. uh, and like all you have to have you don't have to have, but it helps if you've read all the other novels gotcha. beforehand. And uh, and he's got like this entire crazy uh, dense sci fi world going on. Wow. And uh, yeah, it's so I love Cloud Atlas, and yeah. considering the. Uh, the density of that text. Yeah. It's pretty amazing yeah. that they were able to pull it off. But they make every movie, like, I don't know, now I see everything is so personal. Like, when I first saw The Matrix, I was just like, you know, it was taking all of these ideas that you've seen in other movies, but packaging them in such a unique, cool, sleek way and just action-packed, amazing effects. And now when I watch them, um, kind of through a different lens of, you know, experiencing their careers and, and their stories, the filmmakers I'm speaking of, um, I see a lot, a lot more in The Matrix than I ever did before, other than, you know, how we all feel sometimes plugged in into The Matrix. <laughs> I remember seeing it when it came out in, what was it, April, I believe, um, The Matrix, the original Matrix. 1999. Was now, it April? Now I know Snooze, Stu's going to look it up. It was a spring release. It was release. March 31st of 1999. Jesus. <laughs> why, did, why did I see it? Well, Maybe you saw it in a second run or something. I Well, I saw it at a dollar theater. Oh, yeah. Run, so, so that would explain so that it. would yeah. be a, a second run. Yeah, yeah. So for I me. I did not see it first run. You did not see no. it first run? And when I saw it, I was like, why didn't I see this on the big screen? And yeah. I know Erica, to call her out, I know Erica, our president, hasn't seen it yet. No, she has not. And I'm going to make sure that she doesn't leave and she sees it all the way through. Because I think it's a really important film. Like, for me, it changed everything. Like, I... I posted today on Facebook, um, just kind of reflecting back in 1999, um, you know, when I had to decide to go to college for art or to go for 
computers, computer science, because I love both. Um, I chose what I thought would be the more practical route, and I chose computer science. But I loved both of those worlds, and The Matrix really, you know, melds both of those perfectly. And after I saw that movie, Fight Club, Being John Malkovich, Magnolia, Eyes Wide Shut, like once I saw all of these movies in 1999 it really personally like got me to another level of enthusiasm for film that i mean that's a great year of movies a yeah. uh, uh, personal shout out for uh one of my favorites and i know not everybody has seen this one but three kings oh yeah i mean it's pretty yeah. much kelly's heroes and stuff like that and uh yeah, I see that. yeah but it's just like I mean, talk about a movie that starts off at one as one thing and totally turns its head on something different. And there's some crazy stories about that. David O. Russell, like, if, another thing you can look online is, like, notoriously difficult with uh, uh, with actors. With Clooney, especially. <laughs> with yeah. Clooney. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, I actually met the uh, – I actually met the A.D., who uh, broke up the fight and quit on and quit on set? And uh, nice. all of this is detailed in a, a, a pretty good move, uh, uh, book called uh, "Rebels on the Backlot," mm-hmm. and uh, it goes into the details of what uh, Russell does to. His, or I mean, he was he was Rebels running he, he he was he was running his set like a like a fascist dictator essentially. <laughs> but he's a hell of a filmmaker. So yes. hey, <laughs> yeah. well, you mentioned Steve. Magnolia, yeah, uh, which my wife says to me, which I really like that movie. She yeah. says to me sometimes, "Well, at least it didn't rain frogs." <laughs> and I was like, oh, easy, back off. <laughs> and I was like, I like that movie. But what about you in The Matrix, Stu? What do you remember from first time you saw it? So first you were time I was, yeah, I was late seeing bit. it. I think I might have seen a documentary on the technical stuff on the backside of it, yeah. which I was completely blown away. With I the, mean, all the cameras? Yeah, all the cameras. Bullet, bullet time, bullet time. That's right, yeah. <laughs> Even the fact that a lot of it is all practical. The yeah. majority of it is practical. Matter of fact, although blowing up and the bullets and that one hallway scene with the columns. Oh, I mean, God, that is just phenomenal. Yeah. It really does hold up, too. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's crazy. Okay. And well, I love Joey Pants, too, so. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, what do we think about the sequel, or the fourth one, that's come that's just been uh, announced? I'm very excited. I'm impartial. I'll it's wait. okay. I'm sorry. This is... I, I, okay. I, I want to give them benefit of the doubt because I respect them as filmmakers. I mean, boy, does it sound like a cash grab. <laughs> By the way... Well, maybe a, they lost the, some in this lawsuit and now they now they need to... Who's starring? Is it, is it Keon, Keon is back. Yeah, and Karen oh, yeah. Moss okay. is back. I don't know if Lawrence Fishburne is back. Um, so, all right. So, I guess to wrap us back around. Mm-hmm. So, we're having this event to celebrate the 20th anniversary, which is this year. We are, as part of it, we're not making a big announcement about it, but I would love to do a costume contest. I'm going to come dressed as someone from the film. I think, Stu, you are as well. I'm and thinking I, about it. I've heard I'm, rumblings. I'm looking. I'm looking. <laughs> Trinity. So, <laughs> I'm thinking something a little more heavenly. Okay. Oh, okay. All okay. right. So um, feel free to come dressed up, but no weapons or toy weapons, please. Um, and we will have some prizes. We've got a big Halloween costume party coming up, so I can see free admission there, which will save you 20 bucks and some future screenings and bourbon barrel gift certificates. So, um, yeah, come dressed up. Why not? Let's celebrate. Um, So in addition to The Matrix, I didn't want to just show The Matrix because I really like a lot of the Animatrix. So what I did was program um, a collection of some of those animated shorts. These animated shorts detail the backstory of the Matrix universe and the original war between man and machines, which led to the creation of the Matrix. So what we're going to do is start with the second Renaissance parts one and two, and then a detective story, which I think leads in really nicely to the opening scene with Carrie Ann Moss um, and the police. And then after The Matrix, um, we're going to show Beyond and World Record um, as well. So it's a full night of The Matrix, and I can't wait to I see it on awesome. big screen. It's awesome you're showing The Animatrix, because I don't think enough people have seen it, and uh, those uh, those individual pieces like really stand on their own as like really wonderful pieces of yeah. art. And so, yeah, that's Yeah, great. and I've never seen them, because they didn't play on it. I don't think they ever played on a big screen here in the theater, the Animatrix. I think it was I, just a yeah, home I don't release. Think, right? I don't think I've ever seen it on the big yeah. screen. Yeah, so well, I'm excited. So that is this week's film, The Matrix 20th Anniversary with The Animatrix. 
Pre-sales are available, again, through our website, filmsocietynwpa.org. We're now joined with our guest, Mike Berlin. Mike, again, thanks for being here. Tell me a little bit about your film background. Where did uh, you at, go? At to... Den Denison University, okay. Liberal Arts College, uh, right outside of Columbus, Ohio. Really, actually beautiful. And uh, got a great experience there, like uh, just, you know, learning how to, learning the sort of the philosophies of uh, filmmaking and stuff like that. And you know, doing one of those intensive uh, studies where it's just like you're watching three movies a day and like you're going from uh, French New Wave, German Expressionism, Italian Neorealism and stuff like that. And at the same time, being able to learn how to load a Bolex and a Scoopic and, a, a, you know, your original SLRs uh, on uh, 16 millimeter and Super 16. And, you know, we would have these big steam backs and learning how to edit. And huh. and it's hard to imagine now, but like back in the day, like this, dating yourself, Michael. <laughs> this is this was this. If you guys remember this, there was the question of like, is it going to be film? Is it going to be digital? It's like, well, film looks better. And so it's always going to be film luckily we had tommy was so to do both at the same time so we could compare <laughs> well there's a there's something i think we all learned along uh the way that commerce wins out and digital is just cheaper and easier uh so it's just like so i walked out with this brand new shiny film degree and all of a sudden you get i decided to go to new york city um well with a short stop and uh to la in the meantime what That's, did you do in those short stops uh, what, what got you to la and then to new york realizing that erie wasn't exactly uh the hub of hollywood yet what, what year yet. was this this would be in uh this la was oh boy la is 2003 2003 uh i go the matrix revolution yeah Yes. I uh, okay. I, and and uh, my my story is one of poor decisions and heartbreak of woe. I go to Los Angeles and I don't do a bunch. Of, I do a bunch of like PA gigs and everything like that on short films and I worked on some good stuff. And uh, eventually, right at and I'm miserable because it's Los Angeles and it's like just sort of like this sprawl and this desolate wasteland of dreams and stuff like that. And uh, you had stars in your eyes. I did have stars in my eyes. They were eyes. blown out. They were the concrete jungle. <laughs> and I make this decision. This awesome decision at this point it's like you know what i really have to go back finish uh finish my getting my degree and stuff like that because it was like a question of should i stay out there or should i go back and i was caught up at this point with uh my credits and everything like that but i needed to just go back and get a few more things for just to sort of make it official and i was just like what else am i gonna learn which was sort of right but it's just like I think I was gonna i think i was gonna give my mother uh you know an aneurysm if i didn't do it right. uh so uh, so I go back, but in the, I had gotten a job offer to work on a pilot oh, as okay. an assistant editor. I don't think I've ever told you guys yeah. this story. And I was just like, and, and you have to understand, in, particularly in Los Angeles, pilots are a dime a dozen. Like they're coming, they're going. It's just like, and you'll work on some that seem like they're incredibly uh, positive and the right producers and the right talent is uh, associated with it. And then for whatever reason, it doesn't end up happening. And the name of the pilot that I turned down to work on was called Entourage. Oh, wow. <laughs> one wow. of those, like, just one of those, like, great kicks in the nuts where it's just like, no. like Kevin Dillon? Or <laughs> right, Matt, Dillon, right. Matt Dillon. Uh I'll pass. No, I'll pass. I, I don't need to do this and stuff like that. And, I mean, part of it is just, like, you're young. You're, you know. You, you cocky bastard. Yeah, it's like, you think you, you just think you know. Oops. You just think you know. It's just like, and, uh, not that I love Entourage, but it's just like. There's, That's good. I yeah. like it. It's entertaining <laughs> for what it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The first, you know. Know, three four seasons yes. yeah i, I enjoyed it to a yeah. point to yeah. a point to a point anyway so it's like so you missed that one, i missed right? that i missed that window and uh i go back and i get my degree at least so stay in school kids uh it really <laughs> pays off uh <laughs> i'm kidding i'm kidding drop out now oh. anyway. <laughs> well Don't. seriously we had the discussion of film school or no yeah, film let's, school let's hear yeah opinion obviously on on uh my opinion on it i, I think if it you could do it over again i wouldn't I know. But I think it depends on I think it depends from person to person and stuff like that. I'll, I will not deny that there is a part of me uh, even now that having that cinema background and you know being able to sort of recall like you know from yeah. the blink of an eye like a shot from the bicycle bicycle thief or something like yeah. that. Like there are moments that it has come in handy and to sort of be able to break things down and to understand things on a deeper level. But at the end of the day, it's just like what I do is I'm a crew person and it's just like sometimes you just gotta know how to you know screw in the screw and uh, bolt the bolt. 
It does sound, though, like you learned a lot of everything at school, which to me is something I, I, I always call Mike like the jack of all trades. So to me, you wouldn't have gotten all of that diverse experience necessarily. I, you you have a deep art history. Yeah, I do have a deep like art uh, film history. Yeah, but, but behind all this veneer and stuff like that, it's just, yeah, I'm actually yeah, I I know I know my cinema. Um, and I, was that there, because of school or that is, were you That is absolutely because of school. My I would say my technical training is mm-hmm. not because of school. Okay. Uh, but my history. Num- history for sure. History and philosophy and stuff okay. like that. I definitely know from school and uh, I still carry that with me. I think uh you know, it's just like, uh, I believe it's just like, you got to be a well-versed person, ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, if you're going to really try to be good at this. And, uh, you know, saying that yeah. now, it's probably and only the first time I really thought about it, but I've always said film school is kind of a waste for me because you just, it was a grind and just kind of getting the, the, the paper. Mm-hmm. But I would never been shown any of the French stuff, any of the, any of that stuff. I would have never known about Akira Kurosawa or... None of it. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Which is the one thing I really appreciated about it. So. Yeah. I, and I try not to poo-poo it. Uh, knowing what I now, – now I say I, I wouldn't do it, and I wouldn't because it's different. I did, At the time, I didn't – because when you're in film school, everybody thinks that they're going to become a filmmaker. Uh, the next and, M. Night. And this is what sort of started – okay, so I guess getting back on track. So this is sort of what happens to me. My senior year uh, – Los Angeles happens. Everybody in my class and the classes around me are, is a, you know, aspiring to be the next, you know, filmmaker and they have their favorites and stuff like that. All now, directors. All directors. And nobody is volunteering on anybody else's film. And I'm like mm. – I'm like That's a big me. lesson there. I, I'm like, hold the fucking door. I'm your guy. And it's just like, all I want to do is work on these things. And who cares about my other classes and my other electives? So <laughs> I skate by with a cool, like, C- minus on, like, all those sciences <laughs> and stuff like that. But I'm pretty much volunteering for every single, mm-hmm. uh, you know, student film that I possibly can. You're working. I'm working. I'm working. I'm doing the lighting. I'm doing the sound. I'm doing – and, like, I'm really sort of, like, trying to, like, learn and sponge it in and stuff like that. Uh, and then I'm like, okay, you know what I like? I like being the jack-of-all-trades or the right-hand man. And I realize, like, I think that's what's sometimes unique about, like, working in production. Not everybody can be the quarterback. Not everybody can be the head coach. But if you got a pretty dope-ass tight end, uh, it's just like, that's going to help, mm-hmm. you know, the, particularly when you get into the red zone to use a sports analogy there. It's just like, okay, I can be that person. I'm good at being that person. And at the same time, I Yeah, like, your dope ass is tight. <laughs> so tight. What's a tight end? <laughs> Red zone? Uh, I apologize probably for the abundance of uh, sports analogies I'm going to drop during this podcast. Uh, anyway, so I take that and I go to New York City mm. at that point because I, it's like I'd done the Los Angeles thing. This yeah. isn't working. And I go to New York City and I immediately surprisingly, maybe foolishly on their part, get a job uh, working as a location assistant in New York City. I don't know shit about (laughs) New York City at the time. And to hire me as a location assistant is insane. So I essentially... What's the nearest? I have no fucking idea. (laughs) (laughs) Ask somebody else. What didn't exist Right, well, you you got it. And this is like, and now it's like, it's a little bit different and stuff like that. But in that process of working on this film called Trust the Man with Julianne uh, Moore, Julianne Moore and David Duchovny and Ava Menendez and uh, Billy Crudup and... uh, uh, I got to meet uh, Gary Shandling. And uh, oh, wow. yeah, yeah. Damn. Yeah, so it's just like. That was your first thing? This is my first thing. And this you're is, in New York City. And I'm in New York City. And I'm, you know, you're. they're like, yeah, we'll pay you $5 an hour. It's going to be great. Don't worry. You'll survive, kid. You're fine. It's like, and it's, so I'm essentially living off the crafty truck and stuff like that. But I'm just having the time of my life. And then at the end of like every shoot day, uh, it's just like, you're go- we're going to find like the lo- like the closest bar. And I'm like having drinks with uh, Ava Menendez. And it's just like, wow. it's. Uh, you don't realize at the time like the absurdity of this life, and uh, that's great. And of course, they're all doing super well, and the bar is comping. The bars are comping drinks and stuff like that. And I'm just like, all right, great, awesome, good time. Uh, but uh, so I, I work as a uh, location assistant, and I had an opportunity to go and continue working as a location assistant uh, for a show at the time called Rescue Me. Which was this oh, yeah. Dennis uh, Leary show. Great show. Great show. Great show. And was that shot in New York too? That was shot in New York okay. too. And I do it for a little bit, but the reality is, it's like there's a part of me like, and as I'm talking to other location assistants, and they're all they're all miserable. Of course, what you sort of learn is that either it's just people in New York are all miserable, or 
<laughs> or, or or it is true that like location assistants are all miserable or just people in production tend to <laughs> you know lean that way I, this is going to lead me on a path either to becoming a location manager or being a producer and i don't see myself as a producer it's just like it's not who i am and i feel like i you know i feel like i'm starting to already get a little bit away from what i do and so i get this internship uh at a company called music choice mm -hmm. uh which at the when time, was this this would be around 2006 or something like that okay. at this point um so it's all sort of happening pretty quickly mm -hmm. for me and uh and music choice is like hey yeah we need uh we need somebody running the studio doing the lights and all that kind of stuff like at the time it's like mtv vh1 are still happening but it's just like i'm there's no way that i'm gonna be able to i'm just gonna be PA there but music mm -hmm. choice the small network and stuff like that mm -hmm. is like okay we'll take you in and uh, they have all these like cable contracts and everything like that and uh, they'll come back into the so they were pretty bit. established they when... were pretty established yeah and uh, but, but small on small. the scheme of things and they needed to hire somebody fast and the and this is not the way you should be making decisions but it's like hey we really need to hire somebody before Tuesday uh, next week because we got Amy Mann coming in and I was like mm -hmm. I'm like I'm your guy and so my first, the first interview that I ever shot was with Amy Mann. Wow. And, uh, Sweet. Yeah. yeah. And then, then, then my second interview I ever shot was with Fat Joe. And so <laughs> just sort of, again, sort of this eclectic, weird sort of thing that ends up happening. I work at Music Choice as sort of the studio coordinator, uh, director of photography for about two years. And then it's just like, I'm sort of not learning anymore. And I've sort of, they've got a step and repeat style of doing things. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, I need to just sort of throw myself back into the wild. And I do that uh, without many contacts. And I start networking and I grind and I grind and I grind. And you're picking up small jobs here and there from like uh, just from the various websites that are at that time sort of posting themselves. And this would be for a timestamp around like 2008, 2009. Mm -hmm. And I start picking up jobs, uh, some jobs as a grip, some jobs as a gaffer. And uh, start working for various uh, production companies and stuff like that. And uh, the key to the story, kids, is show up early. It's, hmm. it's sometimes it's, and show up early and shut up and listen. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's Make the key. a good that, impression. That's the key. Like, show up early, shut up, and listen. And that's that's what I did. And I had enough wherewithal to do that. Mm -hmm. And so I would continue to get callbacks and stuff like that. Do not act like you know more than you do because the chances are, particularly when you're 20 and you think that you have the world by the balls, you <laughs> just – you think you you think you understand, and then it's just like I that was the one smart thing that I did. It's just like I just realized that I didn't know yeah. shit. And the older that I've gotten, the less I realize I know. Because you don't get to make yeah. a lot of mistakes and stick around. You really don't. You really don't. You really because <laughs> there's a lot of people waiting yeah. to fill your shoes. Yeah. And anyway, so I work, uh, and I in the meantime I'm working on these reality television shows that are like and doing being day players and stuff like that mm -hmm. and substituting. So that. you get into reality TV a bit by bit because I know that. That this is the this is the gist of and we're going way long here i'm sure but like no, no. This, is, this is the gist of you know i start stepping into reality television shows and having interesting uh moments and experiences and stuff like that and reality television is now just starting to sort of overwhelm like uh, your standard episodic television at this mm -hmm. point uh and then i get hired by this company to become their production manager slash production coordinator uh office coordinator and they're still in operation great company uh, and they do a lot of promo stuff but as i work for like all the golf majors all the tennis majors did virtually everything all every single promo you can think of for a couple of years out of cnbc and stuff like that busy well here, busy. let me Aren't you still at Music Choice? I'm not at Music Choice at this point. I'd love Music Choice. Oh, am I at Music Choice now? Yeah. That comes back but around. He, but okay. he left. I left. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. Okay. I do that. I sort of burn out for a little bit, and I almost think that I'm going to quit production. Uh, but then I'm like, you know what? I'm good at this. And that company, it was just like, that was a lot to probably handle. And I'm still sort of too mentally immature to be handling it, even though I'm doing the uh, doing like the paper. I'm, even though I'm doing my job well, it's just like I wasn't in a place that I, sh I was able to handle it well. A lot of pressure while you're doing those kind of things. Uh, anyway, I go back, and I'm doing the grip and gas stuff. Uh, really Can you really quick explain? the the lot of pressure oh, the lot of the pressure i mean okay you so you got to understand that at is this it just so fast paced and they're not really taking the proper time because they have to turn this stuff out like it's not crazy, it's not just that it's fast paced at this point i'm like 27 28 and i'm on the at the time of here's a great example uh W the day one of the days that I feel like I'm gonna like I'm staying up until three four o'clock in the morning uh like and I'm working seven day work weeks like this and when is, do you turn around the next day I mean like I'm sleeping at the office type of situation okay. they had a shower there and I'm doing this for I was doing that I did this for about 
a year and a half and change and stuff like that because I'm really doing it. You're and, burning the candle at both ends. On both ends, on both ends, and probably like not living though. and probably not living the healthiest of lifestyles either. To be understood, uh, yeah. Uh, read between the lines. Uh, you got to keep the energy up. Yes, uh, stay that's, away. Uh, that's true. That's true. Uh, kids, it's called Stranger Danger, and you know, uh, and uh, stay in school. Even though I said don't stay in school. Anyway. <laughs> Nice. So long days. Long days. Not a lot of sleep. Here's here's an example for you. Uh, I'm in Dallas, uh, and I'm doing a shoot with Jerry Jones, and they are building the Dallas Cowboy, the new Dallas Cowboy Stadium that costs 1.8 billion dollars, and we're doing a big presentation piece for CNBC, and uh, you know, you're. I mean, I am sitting in the room with Jerry Jones. Wow. Yeah. In the meantime, we are finishing, and uh, I promise this is not going to get political. We are finishing up, in the meantime, a shoot that we just did in New York City at the Trump Towers and stuff like that with a with an orangutan. And uh, he, I, the world— That's the president of the United States oh, you're that... referring to, Mike? He's not an orangutan? Oh, oh my gosh. Okay. Wow. <laughs> That makes so much more sense now. I thought he looked familiar. Uh, anyway, so I'm finishing that up. At the same time, I had a shoot that was happening uh, uh, remotely in St. Louis with a company called Build-A-Bear. Uh, that's where they're headquartered. Uh. And then I was prepping for another shoot uh, in Los Angeles. I forget who. I think it might have been like Tory Burch or something like that. And uh, and then I was going to have to spin around, go up to Saratoga, and do a thing for ESPN. I'm just all at once. All at once. And I'm production. Uh, and when you're production man, you're managing the crews and stuff like that. And you're just trying to make sure that logistics are there. And I have. I'm working for a guy who is probably to this day still the most. I won't say him by name. But he's probably the most talented director of photography to this day that I've ever worked for. Mm-hmm. But. I thought for a while that my name was Motherfucker, not Mike. <laughs> he, he was a screamer. Uh, and uh, I think he definitely had some daddy issues. That's beside the point. Uh, that's my shot. Uh, but I won't say his name. Anyway. <laughs> so, yeah. I, burnout, I, I get burned out. Holy shit. I get shit. burned out. And yeah. uh, I, my friends, uh, my one buddy said I pulled a Chappelle before Chappelle did. And I, I went to Africa for like six months. And wow. like I just, I got off the reservation. I yeah. backtracked through Africa. And that's a whole different podcast. So. But I come back with a new perspective that, hey, maybe it's not so bad to be in America and, uh, you know, and be working in production. Things could be worse. I when could've... you came back, is that when I met you? When we I, I th- met you or was... I don't think we met meet yet because okay. then I start working on... Uh, I, go, I find another com- company I work with and I'm still friendly with a lot of these guys and... Uh, um, uh, my buddy Gerald Prezo and stuff like that, who brought me on because uh, I got blackballed in New York when I left. And when I uh, confronted this guy, I'm like, hey, why are you doing this? He's like, if you're not with us, you're against us and your competition at this point. And he pretty much blackballed me from all the vendors. Like, because, and uh-huh. I, because before I left for Africa, they're like, hey, call us when you get back. And then all of a sudden, I can't get people to pick up the phone. And so, uh, this, yeah, this guy blackballed me. So I've been blackballed before, and it is, it, it's hard. It's like, it's a real, and like, then you know, it's like, should I just quit? Should I move? All that kind of hmm. stuff. And Gerald was the one. So I worked on this. I, again, what I was go, his name? Gerald, uh, <laughs> Gerald, Prezo, Gerald Prezo is the one who uh, sort of saves me, so to speak. Right, I, I, work, I work as a PA one day on Rachel. It was one of the cooking shows. Rachel Ray. Rachel Ray. Rachel Ray. And okay, you're this... a PA. Yeah, and I'm a PA, and they have clearly under-budgeted him, and Gerald is just feverishly trying to figure out what he's got to work with, and, you know, it's got to be – it's for the network, so it's got to be of a certain standard, and he's just like – and it's me and a couple of PAs and stuff like that, and he just sort of starts like – he's like, you know, can you grab me that flag? Uh, no, I need to be a double, a single, uh-huh. and stuff like that. And, and you say, step up. And I'm just doing this yeah. at this point. Because that's what you do. And uh, he – He's like, uh, and then he sort of starts, like, he starts taking it a little bit further. He's like, hey. He's relying on you now. Well, what I don't realize at the time is that he's just, like, because in my head, I've just gone through. And not I wasn't just production managing these shoots back in the day. I was also, as soon as my production managing, like, I was done with my responsibilities, I was swinging and doing utility and gaff work. Of course. And you've got to understand, these are some big, like, some of these shoots are multi-million dollar shoots. So it's like, I'm like, so that adds to the burnout. But I'm learning, just absorbing all these things. So I'm starting to do all these things, almost like muscle memory at this point. And we get done with this shoot, and it's pretty much just at the end of the day, then just me and Gerald. And Gerald's like, Gerald's like, hey, can you sit down for a second? He's like, I'm a $150 PA in New York City. He's like, where the fuck did you come from? (laughs) It's like, I was like, I was like, what? He's like, he's like, dude, 
He's like, you're not clearly you're not a, a PA. You're not a PA. It's <laughs> like you're very clearly not a PA. He's like, you just helped me do my audio. You you changed my lenses, checked my sensors, black shaded the camera. It's like, and then at the same time, you're doing like all these like. And and I was get like, me uh, a coffee. Right. And yes, yes, right. all that kind of stuff. Uh, because yeah. I worked at a coffee shop when I was in New York to make help things like the the odd jobs you'll do. And I was just like, and I tell him the story, and, wow. and, he, and he's like, he's like, oh, he's like, okay, you're my guy. You're my guy. And at that awesome. point, nice. so, uh, that's, and, that's and fortunate. Yeah, I got really fortunate. I got really fortunate. Um, and it's just like, and you know, Gerald, I will I will take a bullet for Gerald and stuff like that. And it's just like, he's even called me. It's like, hey, I need somebody and stuff like that. And it's just like, they'll pay me. I'll come through. At this point, fortunately, like a devotion. He's like a brother to me at this point. And, uh, and you have those connections. And mm-hmm. I would consider you two fine gentlemen to be two connections like that. And it's just like, that's like, okay, I'm going to do whatever I can for this guy. And girl, sometimes. And, uh, and uh, yeah, so Gerald and I ended up starting to, he started booking these reality television shows okay. like Ice Loves Coco yeah, and Rock the Boat. One. Yeah, and so we start getting into this. And that, and that, oh, that only furthers my, uh, my uh, descent, if you will, into reality <laughs> television. And uh, at a certain point, I come back to Erie, uh, stock market crashes and stuff like that. And I just think I'm mm. kind Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's back up. Let's <laughs> back up. Let's back up. Okay. You just brushed over Ice-T there a second. Now, I remember you telling me a story one time, like he purposely would not call you by your real name. Yes. This is okay. So Ice- <laughs> You personally? Me personally. Okay. Uh, so I've known Ice now for, and I, I technically I worked for Ice because right. he was an executive producer on the show. Um, and uh, I, well, I worked for a lot of people and stuff like that. And on Ice Loves Coco, I was the, uh, I started off as a utility and then I pretty much became like our, you know, tech supervisor slash equipment manager and stuff like that. Uh, and so it's like, it's like being the uh, production mechanic and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And you kind of, not every production, not every production, not every show has somebody like this. But I'll tell you something, uh, just from my experience, having worked all the various jobs, it's really helpful if you've got somebody. It's just like, hey, this is a problem. And even they, it's like it's helpful if you've got somebody who's like sort of focusing because particularly when you're doing all these shoots and they're condensed and stuff like that. I mean, shit goes wrong. Shit's it's gonna break. shit's yeah. gonna break, and it's sometimes it's nobody's fault. And it's helpful. It's super helpful if you've got somebody there to try to fix that shit. And uh, even if they can't, and it's like, and it's like, hey, you know, I'm doing the best I can with this. And at this point, we start working on a show called Ice Loves Coco for the E Network uh, subsidiary of NBC Universal and stuff like that. And and I'm working for Ice, and we're going and we're shooting at his home, and um, met his lovely wife and got to know her well. His lovely wife Coco, and uh, I am one of the few people on set of my complexion uh so ice just white bread white bread yes. white willy lily you know pasty ass so uh, what did ice uh... ice used to love to just sort of pick on me and stuff like that but like in a loving way and yeah. by the way i cannot speak volumes about how awesome it was like one of the biggest privileges to get to not just work with him but get to meet him to hmm. get to know him to get to share some very personal moments with him and stuff like that and uh, i've benefited on working and meeting a lot of quote-unquote celebrities and famous people and they don't come much more uh, genuine and sincere than iced tea mm-hmm. with that said this guy would bust my balls left and right every day on set and he took personal relish and like <laughs> at, at first i thought it was a joke he was just called mark matt and stuff like that. And then it's just like, it, then it just got ridiculous. And like season two, he called me Michelle for like an entire season, which is like just when it's coming from ice. And, and then like at a certain point, it's like, I know it. I know what he's doing here yeah. and stuff like that. And I actually got to shoot an interview with him not that long ago. And it's just, at this point, I was like, I'm a DP and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, I, and well, I'm a DP on this shoot. And he's just like in front of, um, you know, I've got the crew. I've got the assistants. I got every. And he's yeah. like, he's looking at it, He's like, you doing okay for yourself, Miguel? <laughs> It's like, it's like, that's awesome. I was like, that's great. Ice. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. Just always know how to flick you in the nuts and bring you back down to uh, you know, right. that level. But it, yeah. So yeah, he would call me a different name every single day. So that's, that's but you know, that's like one of those things. You're like, you're doing these shows over so many years and it's like, you're spending all this time with people and stuff like that. It's just like, 
there's like uh, that the camaraderie that gets built in and mm-hmm. stuff like that. That I'm sure that you guys were like going through Being with the undercover forced build. together for yeah. a short amount of time intensively, and mm-hmm. someone once uh, likened it to PTSD. You know, and it's like you, you're with each other so much, and then like the following week, all of a sudden you're like, where is everybody? I was mm-hmm. just hanging out with and doing all this great work with. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a little withdrawal. It's yeah. a, like it's a, you get a little sad when stuff like you're relieved on one hand, and then you're just like, but then like it, it, t- it takes just a few days, and it's just right. like, fuck, I missed them. If we could just get rid of that days. one person in the art department, maybe we would have fun. <laughs> yes, you know? yes. Well, let's do it again. Yes, <laughs> yes. I have no idea what you're referring to, and so I do remember the first time I met you though, and I thought, wow, that Erica is so nice to that homeless person. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> you do have a certain look for yourself, though. Very unshaven the, look. The homeless chic. It's, yes, it's, yes. It's, guys, I'm telling you, this is coming around. I, I don't know when, but it's just like everybody. I'm bringing. I'm bringing back Bohemian. That's what I like okay. to say. That's... All right. Nice. I knew we we <laughs> could go resist. south soon. Yeah. Oh, oh, we haven't even we haven't even hit our nader yet. Uh, Tell us about the big boat. The big boat. Oh, yeah. The big boat. Uh, so reality. So I think now we're safely into you guys. You want the juice? You want the you yeah, want the give fun us stuff. give us some juice. All right. Uh, so first things first. I I should throw this out there that I will probably uh, not. Name names. Uh, Don't because, name names. Uh, uh, just, just because on top of that, you signed an NDA, but I can talk about stories. So we had a reality TV show film here recently, and it was kind of our one of our early experiences. But Mike, tell us some of your adventures in reality TV. All right. And maybe, maybe some lessons learned for future mm. uh, Okay. Productions coming into town Ab- or future Ab- crew people that might be working on these. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Uh well Cautionary uh, Tales. Cautionary Tales. I'll have to, I'll have to throw this together. So I worked on this show called um Rock This Boat or Rock the Boat. And essentially it was uh gone on Carnival Cruise and stuff like that. And it was about super fans of New Kids on the Block. And um, one of the things that a lot of these fans will do, these legacy acts uh will do is they will have a cruise. And they'll have their fans come in. And then they do like two to three concerts and stuff like that. And so this was New Kids on the Block. Uh, Kiss does one. Weezer does okay. one. Um, it's 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 a thing to do and stuff like that. What are the demographics for New Kids on the Block? What is the demographic? In, in what was this? This would be the early teens? The 20. Yeah, this is uh, this is like, oh boy. Uh uh, I, I did two this was seasons. 2018, I believe. Uh, well, that's when it was. Uh, it took a minute for the editing and stuff like that. Uh, oh, so this isn't that long ago. No, this is oh, not okay. that long ago. Okay. Uh, this would have been 2000. Let's say 2013 and 2014. I want to say. Okay. Uh, the demo- so white women in their 50s. <laughs> <laughs> white women in their 50s on the brink of menopause and <laughs> uh, DTF. That's <laughs> like. Let's just. Let's, what, what's DTF? Uh, You'll have to run that one by me. <laughs> oh, really? Hold on. Maybe we'll I'll Google it. Right do away. you want to Google it? No, don't Google it because heaven forbid that you got it. I'll save you the DTF uh, and. Uh, yeah, okay. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. And it's, it's, I mean, it's rampant. It's like, uh, it's like if 28 days later, yeah. if they twisted the plot a little bit, instead of everybody becoming like a zombie, they just become like, it was just women who were like sex crazed. And oh, like yeah. oh yeah. Oh yeah. There it is. Right here. So these guys are having a good, a good time. On well, this here's the funny boat. thing is all the five of the new, uh, all, they're all like married and stuff like that, but it's like, it's tough because, and they've got security around them, but like the, and they couldn't have been nicer and g- more gracious to the fans and stuff like that. I mean, these, this this contingent has essentially made them successful for the, their entirety, their entire sure. lives and stuff like that. And so there is a genuine like thank you for this life that we live and everything like that. And so it's just like I think there's that interesting thing where like maybe the fame, the spotlight of fame, isn't on you as bright, and all of a sudden you realize it's yeah. like oh, this is a real gift. So it's and a giant party for how many days? It's a giant party for about. Five six days, and, and you're documenting like the whole thing, or we are, just we, the performances, we, no, or like, doc- what's your charge? So our so <laughs> right. So the angle is we would go uh, we would go to different parts of the country, and we like fans would submit to the show and stuff like that. And it's like okay, and 
the payoff was that the that the pop network would I think pay for your room and stuff like that. Okay. Uh, if or, you're uh, cast. Right. Right. And so. Okay. And we followed eight stories. Okay. Uh, and you follow eight stories from different people, and some of them are like, it's just like. You know, it's new kids on the block, so you can judge and you can laugh. But it's like at the end of the day, life is hard and kind of whatever gets you by sometimes is sure. really sort of maybe my takeaway a little bit from it. Because it's like I certainly used to make fun of it. But it's just like you you hear some stories and it's just like this really helped you, huh? Like, oh, yo, yo, <laughs> really got you through the night. <laughs> it's like – yeah. It's like, I, I know we're looking at the video here too, and this cruise is packed, it's man. Packed. It looks like a Beatlemania is going on here. Out, sold out with your soccer moms. Not only sold out, there is a waiting list and a VIP like waiting that list. Is, it says that is correct. Wow. That is correct. So, what are the challenges, and what what types of things did you see? Let's get into one of the juiciest stories I've got. Uh, Stu, you want to know what a smash room was? Yeah, you had mentioned that earlier. Okay, like, so exactly one of the stories that room? we follow on the show, season one, are these three blokes from Scotland, and uh, blokes is probably more of a British term, so I apologize to uh, all y'all over there and stuff oh, like okay. that. I know you're suffering with Brexit. So, three guys from Scotland, su- like very s- successful businessmen, and uh, I think one of them is like a doctor and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and they have found portal to all these women figured it out they aren't even fans they're not even fans <laughs> not even fans they've been doing this geniuses for, they have go, they have gone on this cruise for five years and here's the thing you have to understand it's like it's actually you have to make an effort to not see the group in concert while it's happening and these guys had gone to out on this five years of like going up they had like been to they had seen like two of the shows <laughs> and what they're essentially doing is it's the dynamite they're populating the universe <laughs> it's the dino it's fishing with dynamite in the bucket right. you know it's oh like it's God. that <laughs> and because these women are like super charged up and dtf and <laughs> ready to go and so these guys would they would get one room and that was their sleeping uh, uh quarters and stuff like that and then the second room was the smash room ah. and smash for you guys Jesus. at home is uh that is that is the new age the newfound way of saying uh coital activity uh, so. <laughs> how did you meet these guys they, were they yeah were this one of the on episode the of the stories this is one of the stories that they oh, uh, that they follow and stuff and uh i i mean like it's not like it was tech supervisor on this yeah. show and stuff like that and occasionally we pick up a camera so it was like and those were that wasn't even like the story i was following mainly and stuff like that but there was one incident where we are following the action and i don't think that this ever got to air and stuff like that we're following the action and this guy like one of the guys is hooking up and it, and they're talking about the smash room and and, and again and by the way these guys were I, I, I just have to say it, handsome as fuck. So they got it. They got so it going on here. They got it going on, yeah. and, they're, and they're talking, and like they're talking, like they're very sort of cheeky, uh, you know, sort of tones and stuff like that. And one of them is like, "I think I've got this one. I'm taking her back to the room. I'm taking her back to the smash." And so we're following the we're following the action. I'm following it with the camera and stuff like that because we're shooting 24 seven on the boat because you're following eight different oh, wow. storylines, and uh, it's like your cameramen are getting burned out and stuff like that. And we'll get to what the lesson is in a second. And and I've got a producer talking in my ear and stuff like that because we have IFBs and, mm-hmm. and and she's like she's like okay okay just go into the room follow them into the room and stuff like I'm like I'm like what into the like, smash into the smash room and stuff like that and I, so I follow I'm just doing what I'm told like a mindless Nuremberg <laughs> go ahead keep going <laughs> so I'm going in there and like. And I'm so I'm shooting the action like it's just happening, and the guy's sort of like at the same time as she's like sort of you know undressing him, and she's undressing her. He's he's looking over at me, and he gives me a thumbs up. (laughs) Is this in the show? I'm I'm filming this, and I and I I hardly ever do this, and I I give him a thumbs up too, and I turn the camera off. I'm like I'm not filming a porno today. (laughs) Walk out, and the producer's like, "What are you doing? What are you doing?" I was was, was like, "No, no, I'm not doing that." I think you got the gist. You got the footage. You got the going. We know what's going to happen. The shades blow in the wind. So, so what I so we <laughs> make so the producer is just in my face. I kind of understand where she's like. She's like, listen. She's like, there's no way that we're going to show all this. And he's clearly gave. She's like, he gave you a thumbs up. I was like, I was like, yeah, but no, you know, it's like, no, I'm not, I'm not signing up for this. And she's like, she's like, okay, 
kind of hear you. I, like, so what can we do? And so what I end up doing is I take the shotgun mic and I pretty much put it at the bottom of the door and stuff like that. And you just, <laughs> the sounds go. So here's the story. Here's the world of the story. <laughs> first things first, uh, never do anything that you're not comfortable with. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. <laughs> That's the first story. Yeah. Listen, if you if you think you're gonna cross some moral ground and stuff like that, uh, then it's just like then don't cross it. It's just like you don't want to live with regret afterwards. I mean, to be totally honest with you, I didn't want to. Uh, I didn't want to film that because I didn't want to feel inadequate at the end. <laughs> <laughs> How many times uh, have you have you felt that, uh, that inadequacy? Yeah. No, no, that moral that moral. Pull working I've had in a, reality I've, I've, had a, I've had a few. And, and I mean, that's the reality. That's the ugly side of reality television because it's like you are sometimes filming people. You're like, sticking a camera in somebody's private life. Yep, absolutely. I've been there. Yeah. And, and the producers love it. The yes, produ- they do. <laughs> yes, they do. I mean, this happened to me on Ice Loves Coco. And uh, this ha- that, it's almost, to be honest with you, every reality show I've ever worked on, that's happened. There's a moment. There's a moment. Right. There is a moment. And uh, I won't act uh, self-righteous. Uh, there have been times that I have probably crossed that line and stuff sure. like that. And it's just like, ugh, probably, you know, it's just like I'm doing my job and stuff like that. And, that you know, that's, that's the ugly, ugly, you know, it's like you're trying to get called the next day. So it's real for... Cer- for, uh, for certain moments, yeah. For emotional, psychological. Yeah. I, I Listen, the reality was I didn't necessarily morally have any. I didn't morally really have a problem that they these guys were doing it and stuff like that. And I was like, I don't want to film what's right. essentially about to turn into a porno yeah. here. And so yeah. that's what I don't want yeah. on my, my resume. And so. What yeah, are the challenges of filming on a on a boat out in the middle of nowhere God, surrounded by infused, tons of people? Right. Okay. Well. Yeah. You, okay. Well, this is. How do you break, coordinate that? Let, it, 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 very difficult. And that's actually the real lesson I wanted to get to. When, you know, you really, you, pre-production, 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 pre-production. You fight 80% of your battles in pre-production. If you pre-pro well, then you're not going to have some of the problems, that particularly that this show ran into. Uh, and uh, and this was a successful show, I would say. Uh, but the problem is, is that the crew got burned out. It, yeah. Not enough, just not enough heads. You have to be honest with yourself that if you start off with an agenda or an, or an idea of what you're going to try to you know, document, if you don't have the financial means, you know, the crew means and stuff like that, then it's just then, then scale it back. Because I saw a lot, like I saw crew members get sick mm. because they're working 24-7. We didn't have the heads and the bodies to like really sort of keep up with all of it and stuff like that. Now, we did the best that we possibly could, yeah. um, but it was just like brutal on some guys. And, uh, I, and I, this is, for what it's worth, I, for seven years, would work uh, fashion week in New York City in the fall and in the spring. And I would always have one stretch of fashion week where I was working, I was up 72 hours without sleep. And, uh, and hmm. so that's with that perspective, hmm. being on this boat and going through that, it's just like, it was, it was a real real challenge and so uh, just pre-production 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 it's like i know it's not the exciting thing that people do but it's like you really got to sit down pen and paper and you know talk to the people that you trust and be realistic about your budgets and about uh the resources that you have available to you so have you seen any of the undercover billionaire episodes yet i have seen i have seen a few i have uh, i have not watched it i think i'm on was like episode five or something like that. Okay, all right. So what I want to know, and I we talked briefly about this, but not enough. From your perspective, watching the show itself and having experience in reality TV, what can you tell us uh, as an outsider? Okay. Like, what do you see? What can you tell? Like, I mean, obviously we're all affected here and we're a little bit biased because it's, uh, it's in our backyard, but what has made, which I feel Undercover Billionaire, a uh, success? Uh, first things first, let's call it what it is. It's scripted reality. And so, and it, I've worked on a lot of scripted reality and Undercover Billionaire is scripted reality. And ultimately- What's the difference? The, uh, the difference. There's no real difference. It became a distinction uh, really that came out of Los Angeles and uh, New York City and stuff like that because like reality, I think there's been a few examples of true reality television and they're still on there. Uh, that would be like something like Survivor, The Amazing Race. Uh, you could probably- Competition uh, Competitions shows. and also the like the original first few seasons of The Real World. Real World. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, Real World was, I mean, that was a game changer. That's real like that. reality. That's TV. real. As close as you're- gonna get except for being a documentary or something right so what you have now is and after a certain while people sort of started to feel funny about the term reality television because then you would have these what you would have is the sort of like these uh oz type of people behind the scenes like sort of trying to manipulate not manipulate but sort of guide let's 
mm-hmm. guide the plots. Big Brother, Bachelorette. Yes. Okay. Yeah, guiding these things and guiding Alcohol. the yeah guiding <laughs> the stories and and the term reality television didn't feel appropriate and so they changed the term and what's really said is like it's scripted reality. Undercover Billionaire is scripted reality. Now there is a big percentage of that, and it varies from show to show. Maybe sometimes from episode to episode, mm-hmm. what percentage of that is reality, and what uh-huh. part, of, what percentage of that is scripted? I would say this about Undercover Billionaire: I think that a huge percentage of it is actually reality. But uh, there are moments, and we sort of talked off mic and stuff like that when they're getting into the flipping the houses and stuff like that. It's there's just like a story arc. There's a story arc, and th- what you really have is almost like any show where it's like. And I've seen enough of them. It's like you have a you have your office and everything like that, where there's like they're like, okay, this has to happen, this has to happen, this or this has happened, this has happened, right. this has happened by episode whatever we need to get here. Yeah. Listen, I get it. We live in a you know, it's we're super cynical nowadays and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, it's like you're trying to entertain people and you're trying to tell a story and stuff mm-hmm. like that. It's like Alfred Hitchcock once said that it's just like reality is boring. It is. Reality is boring. And so you have to dress it up a little bit and like and I, I, I think for fake. And and I think he was re- and I right. And I think he was referencing the fact that he it's like he had no interest in ever doing a documentary and stuff like that because it's like why would I do that? It's like it's not interesting to me. And uh, so you do have to you do have to dress it up a little bit and you do have to guide it a little bit. And it's the nature of the beast. It's the nature you of the You wouldn't be beast. watching People right. wouldn't be watching if it was yeah. So here's, following uh, a guy for three years trying to start a business yeah. in anywhere USA. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I mean, so, you know, use your common sense caps, people, and stuff like that. Now, this is what I will say. I think it's a good show. I find myself super entertained. I think it puts Ari in a good light, which God knows we need. And it's just like, it's like I think it puts Ari in a good light. And it's just like it's it's pretty well shot, actually. Uh, you know, it's just like I think they I think they drone shot some things to death, but it's you know no no disrespect. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. a personal thing, but it's like but you do need the but it does sort of do a nice job of like doing the establish like establishing an exposition of where you are and stuff mm-hmm. like that because people aren't familiar to Erie and stuff like that. Um, and the other thing, the shining light, the greatest thing about the show is Glenn. I, he is, what you're seeing, despite the some of the machinations of the producers that is clearly happening behind scenes and stuff like that, I think what you're watching is, and yes, it's, I you know, it's hard because he's a billionaire and like people are like, well, it's so easy. And so, but like, I think you're actually watching him have this real experience mm-hmm. meeting people. I, the one that really stands out to me, I think, um, is it episode two, the soup kitchen and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, a good one. He's, he's having a real moment right there. Yeah. Like you can't, he's not faking that. Yeah. And like, and that's the thing. It's like, you have this, you have this protagonist and stuff like that. The concept's a little silly and stuff like that. And yeah, sure. He at the end of the day, and he, I think he, he even says it a few times. It's like he could just leave and go back to his life and everything like that, and you know, or no, wave his wand and right, and none, know, make a lot of these people's lives a lot easier. Right, and none, none's the wiser. And for what it's worth, I think some of that gets fudged. But it's like, but I don't know. I, I think some of that's a little fudged. That that's my hunch. But you know, and I'm sure you'll never get a producer to be like, nope, it was all authentic, and we only we started with a hundred dollars. I'm like, sure you did. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I gotcha. <laughs> and so uh, Glenn started with a hundred dollars. That doesn't necessarily mean that there. You have to think of it like, uh, you know, that doesn't mean that he's necessarily flanked by sort of helpful means around him. Pre-production, to, pre-production, pre-production, <laughs> folks. And uh, and I, obviously, it's like going back to the sports analogy. He, they, he's got fullbacks paving the path for him through, sure. the, through the line. Yeah. And uh, and that's the thing that you'll never see and stuff like that. But he's an interesting protagonist he's and an he interesting... has screen charisma. And, and He does because it's like at the end of the day. And you do feel like he, he's a real person, you know. He's, he's not super, He's not an asshole. He's, he's super likable. Yeah. And you know what? It, it's a really simple thing. Now, I... And uh, this put a different billionaire in there, or a millionaire, or anybody in or there. I mean, that's, dad gave him money. Let right. me let me tell you something. That's the show I want to see. <laughs> like, <laughs> challenge, do that challenge next time. But like, this guy's super likable, and he's like, and he's clearly not so far removed from when he had to grind and hasn't lost that work ethic. That it's just like I think he finds this kindred uh, spirit in the city. Mm-hmm. That it's just like. I get this. Yeah. I really get this. I'm happy to hear that you're enjoying it because I, 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 I really did. I tried to watch it as much as I could from like, you know, a critical outsider 
perspective and try and, you know, make sure I wasn't giving it too many points just because it's eerie. Right. But I liked, um, you said Glenn really stood out for you. I really liked meeting these eerie personalities and how it kind of tied in, in a way, kind of to an apprentice, but more realistic, you know, where you have these people kind of trying out and then you learn their personalities and i really had a new appreciation for i mean that's tough because i know a lot of these eerie personalities and stuff like that we all do and they're all awful people (laughs) 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 all horrible people i mean that's really the we'll call rj right now (laughs) (laughs) but like i'm kidding i thought the character of that's a lie that's a lie (laughs) the character of the city and um you know these these people that just happen to shine it was great well, he, really... and I, I can't believe we're gonna say that i mean like i give him a ton of credit because it's like so many times it's like listen we all read the reader and stuff like that and you know once upon a time read the times it's just like but it's just like there's you know we got enough challenges and uh things that we have to overcome and we all know it but it's it leave it to it's kind of weird like leave it to a scripted show like undercover billionaire to come in and kind of show the pluck of the city yeah you know i I, i'm I'm not gonna lie when i started the show i was like a little bit like okay let's see and stuff like that and i try not to watch too much reality television because i've worked in so much would you watch any other reality tv show other ones i mean you only watched this really because it was about eerie though i i I did i did and yeah we forced we forced him to start but like i found (laughs) but all of a sudden you know a funny thing happened on the way to the forum so to speak it's like i find myself it's just like i'm enjoying this yeah i really am enjoying this and uh and you know that's and the show at the end of the day i think the producers did a good job of doing exactly that if you actually give it a real shot and just and turn off that critical Mm -hmm. you know uh you know brain of yours for a second just let yourself just sort of sit back and watch it and let yourself have just an emotional experience with it and let it and let it entertain you at the same time because it is pretty entertaining it's like so i i thought they did a nice job and so, do I watch any reality television? I, I did rewatch uh, or finally watch an episode of, or a season of Survivor recently. Uh, okay. And so, like, once in a while, I don't know why I did it, but, 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 <laughs> but damn, that show still has the formula down. It's like, it's really fun to watch. And this gets to personalities, the manipulation of personalities and stuff like that. And it's just like, and you want, you want another reality television story? sure okay okay another nightmare of reality television because i believe that's what this is called and stuff like that uh the bad girls club uh are you guys familiar with this okay uh <laughs> britain our producer britain, is britain, <laughs> the bad girls club takes uh i would say five young uh 20 something year old women who uh all come from different backgrounds and settings and mm-hmm. stuff like that and puts them all in a house and it's like the whole thing it's like what happens when you start being real? And I, and, I and drink a lot. I drink a lot, and they, I think that they are the producers are t- really honestly looking for somebody uh, that is, and I don't think it's on the sh- on air anymore. I think, uh, and are looking for somebody who is not uh, sound of mind. Going to guess that there was a little bit of this on Undercover Billionaire, and there's on this on every show. Is a lot of times in these shows, particularly when it's set in one location, is there's a sort of because they'll have the security cameras and stuff like that, there will be the room where they're sort of editing and storing footage at the same time. And the producer's like, oh, uh, Brittany, we need you on set and stuff like that. And they'll be walking her by. And they will sort of walk her by the room as somebody has given, like, the confessional and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and they will have it queued up. Uh-huh. To when the other girl, uh, you know, <laughs> Destiny is talking shit on Britney. Right. And Britney hears this stuff. And, you know, the producer will be like, oh, you know, just be checking <laughs> just checking the messages yeah. as they're slowly yeah. crawling in front of that room. And pretty much Britney will get just charged up at that moment. And so we, uh, this one time, it's like we were filming it. And this girl, like, they're doing this move. And I've seen the move already. And it's just like, and I'd seen it done on other shows. And this was the first time. And I was only day playing on this one. Uh, and so they're doing this move. And I was working utility on this thing. And <laughs> as she's walking into the room, she's slowly taking the earrings off and taking off jewelry. Uh-oh. I'm like, oh, this is going to go well. Uh-oh. And, like, uh, they open the door and, like, a cannonball. Boom! She goes right for her and stuff like that. And all of a sudden, you think you're on like a Jerry Springer type of show. It's just like producers let it happen for a little bit, and like and like you got the push, you got the push, you got the push. Get him, get him, get him, get him. Get him. <laughs> 
I'm watching the trailer here. I'm like, this is horrible stuff. <laughs> Chicks are just swinging and punching each other. Pretty much. Oh man. I, I see a I see a apple teeny, and then I see a yes. punch, and then I see another apple teeny and another swipe at somebody's face. And the best thing is, is like first day on set, they always start off as BFFs. We're right. gonna be friends forever and stuff. Yeah, and like. So this is the difference I think because. When I was dealing with the producers for Undercover Billionaire, I didn't get one bad vibe or one, you know, I don't think stressful yeah. or anything. But that's, the, the that's difference a bit... was like a do good show versus a gotcha show, and that's how they were saying uh, the new model of these reality TV shows is moving. It is, and I think a big part of this is it's not just the producers on your show, and I don't know who was the producers. I, I, I mean, it's clear that uh, the producers on your show because they. They break the fourth wall a little bit here and there, but it was very clear that they have uh, sincere and honest intent. True. And and so it's like that's listen, that's the kind of stuff you want to work on. It is, it is, uh, and they have a clear and honest intent of trying to do the right thing. Yeah, you got to have your you got to have your hook, you got to have your gimmick mm-hmm. a little bit. But it did like feel that. like edutainment to an entry level kind of small entrepreneurial. I kind of learned a know? few business yeah. things along the way, actually. I was yeah, like, I was like, oh, that's that's really sound advice, which uh, is different than yeah, yeah most reality. And I would. <laughs> also say this uh part of this has to do with uh the network discovery discovery yeah and it's just like uh, that there's like that can't be overlooked and stuff yeah. like that i mean if something's going to be on e or mm-hmm. some of these other networks and stuff not to not to be smirch e and stuff like that yeah uh, sometimes it's fun to give in to the carnal and sort of the our baser instincts and stuff like that but it's just like discovery does sort of hold itself to this standard and stuff like that and i mean i think at the end of the day and again i'm not trying to just like you know be like they're the best but like they did a nice job and mm-hmm. so it's just like and I hope that people I hope people in Erie actually watch the show too I yeah. hope it, I, I think yeah I think it's inspiring yeah and I th- and, and not just that I think the show deserves a bigger audience I, I hope Dude, it's, and people I hope are it's watching it in Europe I mean they're getting good, they're, good. people just, are deviating their flight plans to come to Erie to eat that's, the film induced tourism oh, is crazy that's and that's I mean that's fantastic yeah, you've, you've never seen a model like this in reality TV where a business is left behind yeah that, yeah. and that you really have it, and it's just like, it's like that deserves a ton of credit. And so I think I hope that the city, and again, I know that sometimes we get like cynical and critical about things and stuff like that, but we should just be wrapping our arms around it. It's just like, and for totally. you know, uh, and you beauty marks and blemishes aside and stuff like that, I think it di- I did a nice job of showing the city, and by my understanding giving people an opportunity, uh, local uh, you know crew members and stuff like that. I mean, there's this one totally degenerate uh, kid that I know named Jesus, who uh, I understand <laughs> has been getting an opportunity. I mean, yeah. he's clearly fooled them. Clearly. Because like a young Mike Berlin, <laughs> he's, he's he steps up. He's he, a go-getter. Yeah, he He'll do whatever he Jesus, needs. if you're listening, I'm coming for you. Okay, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> But let's all right, just yeah, quickly to, no, to get sorry, sorry. towards towards wrapping. I yeah, think sorry. Yeah, piling on some of your cautionary tales mm-hmm. and for Erie and the future and productions here in the future. Because yeah. it, it wasn't perfect. We did get some complaints. Um, you know, good because Erie were a little green, right? So we kind of will help and go above and beyond for productions, right? Can I ask, what, what were the complaints? Well, I don't know if we'll, we'll get into the specifics, but there are a couple places or maybe Check one. Check out our Undercover Billionaire episode. There's parts one and two. You'll have to tune ah. in for that one. Yeah, okay. there was okay. maybe okay. A, a location that was filmed at that uh, the coordination of the production schedule was not clearly um, explained to the owners, and they just kind of showed up and cost some some business uh, because yeah you know they came in and said hey we need to shoot we need everybody to be quiet but it was a business that was operating at that time that happens know? in new york too it's a struggle that's a dynamic that is i mean i've seen it when it's done well and but most times it's you know but it's, people it's can a real, say it's a, no right erie can say no right you can you, say you, you can, can say, you have a choice of do i want to show my business in it's called marketing. Production. Yeah. And I, I mean, I listen, I get it. I get it. It's just like it, you're, you're probably losing out on business that you uh, sorely need and stuff like that. Uh, but you have to understand marketing. This is a – and particularly with a show like Undercover Billionaire, like that's a huge platform. Yeah. That is free marketing. Free marketing. <laughs> and that is a legitimate gripe. But it's just like what in this world do you know 
that it's like you have it either all one way or you have it all the other way. Sure. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to give a little to yeah. get a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So there's challenges like that. You know, there's there's other people that thought you know because of the whole con- central conceit of the show that they were lied to by Glenn. But I mean, it's called Undercover Billionaire. You know, it's like it's reality TV. Um, I mean, not everything is is gonna be a hundred percent on on the put, level. Put your adult pants on at some point. It's just like <laughs> if you if you thought you were being lied to and stuff like that, then you know it's a little bit on you. No disrespect, but it's just like then. There's a bunch of cameras around following somebody around. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it, like that's that's normal. That's your everyday life. Excuse me. I mean, I, I, I clearly, I there's clearly some some page in reality that I missed here and stuff like that. Yeah. It's just like then then a little bit of me is like, well, I hear you, but what the fuck did you think it was? And okay, so back to cautionary tales and future productions that are coming in here. What what should people maybe watch for in reality TV and just productions in general, just to kind of protect themselves Ugh. and know that read the fine print. Yeah. I mean, like you know, the, you it, should have a contract. Read your NDA. Read your NDA. Read your NDA. Read your NDA. Boy, do I have stories about that. Um, and uh, but you signed an NDA, so you can't share those. It, no, right. Well, I, I I can share some. Like I've particularly with social media nowadays, people lose their damn minds. Where it's just like they're posting live from onset and stuff like that. It's just oh, like it's, yeah, it's yeah. and it is just like it's like it's how, a tight wire. It's like how stupid can you be? It's right. just like put your phone down, and then that's a whole that's a whole nother right. podcast. You're the director in your social media. Mm. One thing. You're right. a PA, and you've got your social media going. Right. GTF. Yeah, by the by yeah. the by the way, I've seen it not just with PAs and stuff like that. I've seen it with camera operators. Oh, right. I've seen it with audio guys and stuff like that. And, it, and it's just like it's unbelievable that people just seem to not use their common sense and the, just lack the filter when it comes to posting shots from on set to, onto their social media and stuff yeah. like that. And it's just like, what do you, what do you think your NDA is all about? So, so I think we are yeah. really spoiled with undercover billionaire as far as a showcase so, yeah. for Erie in the city. Like, uh, and I think that some of the businesses do have a legit gripe and stuff like that. I mean, I don't know. Uh, can I name names and stuff like that? Or, okay, I won't no. get, I won't, I won't get into that then and stuff like that. But I think some of the businesses actually have a legit gripe uh, because of the premise of the show where he was coming in and stuff like that. And it's just like, you want us to train you to be our competition? Yeah. I, those are the, yeah. those, those are the businesses that I'm like, okay, I get that. I really sure. get that. And I don't yeah. know. And that's where I don't necessarily condone everything. But with that said, what the business owners can do is at the end of the day, read the NDA, read the fine print, um, and make sure you're asking the questions. Don't you can ask the producers questions, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, and here's here's maybe something that you can ask for if you're a, a business and stuff like that. I want to see, can I see uh, like a reel? Can I see uh, a sample of other shows and other work that you've worked on? Good. Because guess what? You're going to find out really quickly what type of production it is. Details. 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 All about the details and the pre-production. Yes. And also, here's the other thing. Yeah. And here's the other thing. Figure out what time of day that you want them to shoot. You do have some say in this situation. And it's just like, and if your peak hours are four to five, and if you're okay with it, fine. But it's just like, it's like, no, we don't want to lose that business. Then have them either after those peak hours or before those peak hours. Just be smart about it. Think about it a little bit. But you should use it to your advantage. Mike Berlin, thank you for joining us today. Oh, man. That, yeah, thanks, oh, man. Thank you, guys. Good luck editing all this, and uh, love the show, by the way. And so, yeah. Thank you, listener. Can I send a quick shout-out? Sure. I just want to say hi to Joe and Betsy Petoriak. And so, and so yeah. And so, and so, nice guy. Yeah, you know, longtime supporters. The film community here and here. That's been our episode. You can buy tickets for the Matrix 20th anniversary and the rest of our programming at filmsocietynwpa.org or at the door the day of the event. Next week, our guest will be filmmaker Jim Morton to talk about his new film, Help Me, which just finished production in Northwestern PA. And on October 21st, we'll be joined by some of the people behind Erie's coolest Halloween costume party, A Nightmare on State Street. Make sure you follow us on social media. You'll find all the tags and links in the show notes for this episode. Until next time, this was Film Grain. This podcast is produced by Edinburgh University Center for Branding and Strategic Communication. It's part of the Northwest Pennsylvania Innovation Beehive Network.